0: morning for our reading of Scripture, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. We'll read the first 21 verses. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. But no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be, ye not, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but is wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God." We read that far in God's holy word. This morning we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lords of Day 33 how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist of two parts, of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. What is the mortification of the old man? It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. What is the quickening of the new man? It is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ, and with love and delight, to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which proceed from a true faith are performed according to the law of God and to His glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's Day that we consider this morning is a rather significant Lord's Day in that it explains what the earlier Lord's Day called Christ's renewal of us by the Holy Spirit. What that means is that this brief Lord's Day really explains and encompasses God's saving work of us in our entire life. In many ways, the other great work of God saving us, justification, may be viewed as something that occurs in a moment, perhaps even once. That's a legitimate way of looking at it. The sinner that Christ renews is a justified sinner. And yet it ought to be evident from this Lord's Day that what's being explained also has to do with our justification. The daily need for the forgiveness of sins, to know it and to live it as a part of hating and fleeing sin and seeking Christ. From that point of view, this brief Lord's Day covers a vastly greater aspect of our salvation. It covers all of our life from when we are first seized by God and regenerated to the time we die, and in fact, explains all of our eternal life that we will have in perfection. We must not make the mistake of imagining, because this is an introductory Lord's Day on the life of thanksgiving, which is chiefly characterized by two things, prayer and obedience, that we are dealing with a minor fruit or effect of our salvation. But we are dealing with God's salvation of us for renewal, as we noticed last time, is a part of that salvation. This Lord's Day explains our entire life. For that reason, one must also understand that this Lord's Day is not intended to be exhaustive. It's why when we considered Lord's Day 32, I pointed out, that the subject matter that we are entering into, namely conversion or Christ's renewal of us, is something that's taught in earlier Lord's days. And I especially pointed out to you the section on the sacraments where the sacraments are taught clearly to be not simply signs and seals of the salvation that consists of our justification and forgiveness of sins, but our signs and seals of God's renewal of us through the Spirit of Christ. And it would be worthwhile to go through the catechism sometime and notice all the different references to this work of renewal. For example, in the explanation on the Apostles' Creed of the work of the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we have several great works of the Spirit that are set forth, including the communion of the saints, the renewal of us, in the image of God was brought up in the Heidelberg Catechism with regard to us being Christians. Office bears who bear the name of Christ and our prophets, priests, and kings. It's even implied when right in the beginning of the section on our deliverance we're taught what faith believes and what faith understands. This Lord's Day then covers a pretty vast area. It assumes some things assume some things but we're going to try to make those clear because there are also many misunderstandings with regard to the subject matter here misunderstandings sometimes well-meaning others deliberate and intentional to deceive and confuse we will try to make those plain this morning as much as I am able As a preacher of the Gospel, in the brief time that we have, let's consider this morning God's saving work of conversion. And we notice first of all the work, then the effect, and then finally the fruit. And I'll make plain the difference between the effect and the fruit when we get there. title of the sermon is God's saving work of conversion, and it is that because we want to begin by making clear That conversion is the saving work of God, both as to that work initially and with regard to the activity that it produces in us. You see, when we deal with the renewal of us, we're focusing now not on the work of Christ for us and in our stead, the work that is especially highlighted in the atonement and the death of Christ on the cross and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us, but the work of God in us, the work that is emphasized especially in the resurrection and the return of Christ on Pentecost, That work, of course, is rooted in the cross. It finds its power in the cross. Without the atonement, without the payment of sins, and even as we're going to see with regard to us, without the forgiveness of sins, there would be and could be no renewal of us. But as one can easily see, Conversion, and our conversion, has the effect and even is explained in terms of our activity. What is conversion? It is a sincere sorrow of heart in you and me. It is a hating and fleeing of sin. It is a sincere joy of heart in you and me and a love and delight that actually lives according to the will of God in all good works. It is a work of God in which we work and we labor, in which our heart and mind and soul and will are all engaged. So the one who is converted actually lives, and behaves, and acts, and thinks in a certain way. And that's the way it's intended. In God's work of conversion, the individual not only says, I believe, and actually believes, but I obey the Lord my God, and I pray and I communicate and I am thankful for the Lord my God without it all taking away from conversion being the work of God. The explanation for it and why sometimes not only the heretic in a deliberate attempt to confuse to detract from the salvation of God and give the credit to salvation, of salvation to man, but also, even the believing Christian can be confused. Because how, after all, can in conversion I work and yet conversion be the work of God? How can that be? Is that not a contradiction? Is that not a denial of Christ and His grace? Is that not a denial of the one complete work of Jesus Christ? That's the charge. So supposedly to defend Christ and His work, we may speak that way. We may say, I believe. We may say, I do and I work." That's not true. That's not true. There's nothing true about that whatsoever. That's done to confuse. That's done to make you doubt your faith, find another faith that actually detracts from this great, great work of God. Because that belongs to the great work of God. What's the explanation? Well, what we need to do is look at how the Bible characterizes conversion, how it explains it. There's many biblical pictures, and you will discover that all those biblical pictures of conversion, so that there is even a possibility of confusion here too, that we need to explain, it all begins with regeneration. And what's being explained with conversion is often put in terms of our own bodies and our own earthly life. You see, conversion is likened to something that begins with a resurrection from the dead or a creation. There is a reason why, time and time again, we're told to live according to the Spirit in our bodies, so what's the analogy? Well, look at your own body. Look at all the things you do in your body. Let's, let's leap out of the realm of salvation if we can, and let's just talk about the physical realm. Do not your hands work. Do not your fingers bend. Do you not say, I see? And you do see, don't you? You're not blind, you see. Do you not hear? Do you not think? What fool would come along and say, well, you don't think. God thinks for you. What fool would come along and say, you don't see me right now. God sees for you. No, you see me. And yet saying that doesn't at all detract from the reality that you're seeing me is the gift of God and the work of God. A Christian freely acknowledges And in fact, He delights in pointing out that the work of my hands and the seeing of my eyes and the hearing of my ears and the thinking of my brain and the willing of my heart all belongs to God. God made me from the dust. God brought me. He formed and fashioned me in my, my parents' womb. What fool would say, well, because you see, you put man first. You detract from the glory of God. What fool would say that? No. God gave me my eyes. God is the one who gave all the nerves and gave me the instrument to see. And and not only that, but it's, it's God who allows me to be here, to see this image, to process it. None of that detracts from the glory of God. In fact, the greatest glory to God is to recognize that. That all that I am, I owe to thee. Now that's but a picture. That's only a dim picture of the spiritual realm and what's being explained in conversion. And what has to be understood is the utter fallacy of the notion that has been preached and has been preached by especially those who left us and taught to them so that they believe it that conversion, and I quote, is your work, it's what you do. That's as false as Arminianism. That's as false as Arminianism, though the intent may be to preserve the grace and name of God. In conversion, you do, but conversion is not your work. It's not what you affect. It's not what you do. In conversion, the first thing that we understand that makes it God's work, and the first reason why no matter what you do, and no matter how much the preaching urges you to do it, and it's going to, the preaching is going to come along and say, why must you do good works? Here is the will of God. Do it. Repent of your sins. Change. Turn. And why none of that makes man first is because it begins with regeneration. Which is the work of God in us that occurs without our knowledge and understanding. It occurs in an instant. And it is fundamentally conversion as it were in seed form. Really the same thing happens as to its work and effect, which is a change. What is conversion? What does the word mean? What does the term mean? It means to change. To convert is to change. I have American dollars and I'm going to travel overseas to Europe and I'm going to convert those American dollars to Euros. We know that under certain physical processes, physical elements can be converted into other elements and compounds and things. Conversion speaks to the fact that you can take wood from a forest and gypsum from a mine and iron ore from a mine and you can convert it all and turn it into a skyscraper or a church. You can convert a chunk of wood into ash. Conversion simply means there's a change. A change. A turning, often. Which is why the Bible also, and the creeds do also, refer to it as repentance. In fact, the original, in the original, The question is, how many parts doth the true conversion or repentance of man consist? Now, they're not quite exactly the same thing, nor are those words exactly have the same meaning. They may be rightly interchanged, and the one referred to as the other, as the part, often is referred to as the whole. This cup of blessing, we say, with regard to the wine that is in the cup that we will drink. There are figures of speech. Repentance is the biblical word that's used for a change or turning of the mind, the soul, the will. It emphasizes especially the mind. Well, if one's going to be converted, that has to happen, right? conversion really you may look at it as the broader word and repentance can be interchanged for the word conversion because you cannot have a conversion of activity a conversion of activity in the body without there first being a conversion in the mind a change of mind the mind before one is converted is dead Filled with blindness, it's black, it cannot see, it's dark, and the mind controls the body. That must be changed even before there's a conversion of the body. And so repentance often is the word that's associated with the turning from sin that can be used to refer to the turning in the mind from sin unto God, but it can also be just referring to the turning from sin. In other words, are used to describe the turning unto God, especially faith. In that sense, they're aspects of the same thing. But it's fundamentally referring to knowledge. But the word repentance you will find used in the creeds in Reformed writings and even in Scripture to refer to the broader idea of conversion. But conversion is much more than we often think of as repentance. It's a turning of every faculty, every behavior. The whole of the man, not just part of us, is converted. We're going to learn we're not just even converted with regard to one or two commandments, but all of God's commandments. The conversion of God, of us, is whole and complete. So that a child of God may rightly say, in this life, I am converted. I've been converted. There's a change. There's a change in my heart and mind. There's a change in my will. There's a change in my attitude. There's a change in my emotion. There's a change in my behavior. That I recognize God has worked. I've been converted. And yet, at the same time, on this side of the grave, may also say that conversion is not complete, not perfected without it all denying the complete once for all salvation of Christ in the cross. Why? Again, because conversion is an entire change with regard to all the law of God so that when the individual is perfectly and wholly converted, as we're going to find out according to the language of the creed itself, that will be the day of resurrection. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ with regard to body and soul. The day of our death with regard to our soul. Now that conversion, which is an entire change of the entire human being in all of Him, and I might add, so complete that the flesh which remains depraved, the flesh which remains as ugly and as gross and as sinful as it ever was and in conversion is not changed one bit. We have to understand that. There's a conversion of me, the person, but there is an old man. There is my old flesh, which is depraved. We're going to see from a certain point there is a conversion of that, but it's a conversion of death. It's mortifying. But we must also see that such is the effect of conversion that something must happen to that flesh. That's why it must be mortified. Now, the important thing to understand is none of that, none of it, can happen unless we are first regenerated. Regeneration is that act of God in an instant when we are changed from darkness to light, from unbeliever to believer, from child of darkness to child of light, from child of Satan to child of God, from unrighteous to righteous, unholy to holy. And it's in an instant. And any explanation of conversion, any explanation of our salvation must do justice to that reality. In that instant, the child of God was dead and now he's alive. Also important to understand is that just like creation, which is how it's explained in the Canons Head 3-4. If I look it up, Articles 11 and 12, 13, it goes on. God gives us all the faculties with which we think and work and will. Just like in creation. When you are created, or when you are born, when you are conceived, there is an instant in which you are alive and God creates faculties so that when we're born, just like when we're born again, we have eyes and ears, a heart and a will. That's when God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And a heart that beats for God. And a will that delights after God. It's when God gives us faith. It's when God unites us to Christ. And no matter what happens after that, that makes God first. And nothing ever takes that away, including preachers. God is always first. And God was first even before He regenerated you because what explains that is again not you, but God's choosing of you. What explains that is the cross of Christ. What explains that is God's love. This is why the Bible can speak of things like eternal justification, which I might add if Going to speak of eternal justification, you might as well also talk about eternal sanctification and conversion too, but I digress. Now, what fool says that now that God has made me alive and given me eyes to see and ears to hear and a mouth to speak and a heart that beats for God, God has given me feet to walk and hands to do that I don't do anything. That would be a stillborn child, would it not? A child wouldn't be alive. Even if one or more faculties didn't operate right, we would, we would say the child is but handicapped. Still a wonderful child that God has created. All pictures again of the spiritual life. Consequently, what fool would also say, now look how I see look at my powers of vision and speech. No. The Christian doesn't do that. That's why the Christian is careful even when he praises men. and he applauds men. and he appreciates skills and gifts. He gives the honor and glory to God. We don't do that enough. Which may indicate that we don't do it enough in the spiritual realm either. We quickly become proud and quite self-congratulatory at our coming to church and our praying and our obedience, right? That's wicked. That's as wicked as all the honoring and praising of men that goes on in our world without a thought for God or maybe a begrudging admission. So that we must understand is the work of God and all of it is the work of God. God does not see for me. Spiritually no more than He sees for me physically. God no more eats for me spiritually than He eats for me physically. And yet my eating and my seeing is the work of God. The gift of God. Is that clear? Now regeneration is not, strictly speaking, conversion. The, The words can be used interchangeably. again. It's one of the reasons there's confusion about this renewal of God on both sides. Confusion created. Sometimes we just have to be clear, yes. Exactly because regeneration is a change, a radical change, and conversion is a radical change, they can be used somewhat interchangeably. Exactly because conversion begins with regeneration, the words could be used interchangeably, but they're not exactly the same again. On the one hand, when a person is regenerated, they can say, I'm converted. In an instant, they were converted or sanctified. They are now dedicated to God. They are holy unto God. We may never detract from that. Even though we're going to find this work of God is also progressive. Those aren't contradictions. Those are simply how it works. When God creates you, when you're born again, it happens in an instant. But that's not the end of it. You don't stay a baby. No, there's a progression. A child learns how to use his mouth to praise God even though already before the child can speak he's praising God. We learn how to use that mind through various ways to study the truth of God's Word and learn ever new insights. Again it's a picture of this great work of God. That's what I'm talking now is the effect. Now that's what we must see as really God's work of conversion. You may look at it as both cause and effect, you see, but never in such a way that the effect is yours, your work, in the sense that it's by your power, by your ability. This is what the Catechism is describing when it calls conversion what it does. It is this. And it says it's two parts. The two parts do justice to the fact that there's a positive and negative side. It concerns an old man and a new man. Conversion always deals with turning from something unto something else. And you can never have one without the other. This is what explains why repentance is what it is. This explains why repentance can't simply be a sorrow over sin or even a despising of sin. Repentance, true repentance, even though repentance can be referred to as just that, always also must include then a delight and a joy in God. It's not just a sorrow over sin for sin's sake or my sake, but always for God's sake. You see, it's why there's not just an improvement and a quickening, and enlivening and growth in the new man. But there has to be a corresponding death and mortifying of the old man. And this is what the Bible emphasizes again and again, and the creeds. This is what Paul was emphasizing in Ephesians 5 when he said, don't you know, no adulterer and idolater who is a covetous man, no blasphemer enters the kingdom of heaven has no inheritance. Some simply explain that as, well, you know, we are justified, right? So if I'm justified, I'm not really an idolater. No, no, no. There's truth to that. But the fact of the matter is that the man who is justified so that he's righteous in Christ and knows he's righteous in Christ will live righteously. He won't simply be sorry for his idolatry and adultery, but he will turn from it. That's what's being explained here. That's what we have to do justice to. You cannot have a regeneration of a man. You cannot have it where He's given eyes and ears and heart and will and body and soul spiritually, and they don't do anything. They remain dead. They remain silent. That can't happen. And you cannot have the creation of a new man so that that one person, there's one person functioning through two men, Corresponding almost with our natures. A flesh and a spirit. A heavenly and a physical. And I'm both. Not that hard to understand. Not if we understand Christ. And how Christ is one person has both a divine and human nature. We can understand these things. We can understand what Paul is talking about when he says the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. We can say, I get that. I understand that. Well, that's being explained here in conversion. And you can never have one without the other. In true conversion, we're going to hate something, and we're going to love something else. We're going to run from something, and we're going to run to something else. I want to talk lastly about the fruit. And you might say, well, fruit and effect are the same thing. Well, that's true. The fruit I have in mind now are specifically what's going to be explained in the next Lord's days. Prayer and obedience. And I call them fruits, not because I'm speaking so much about the fruit of conversion. Because then we might get the idea that they're not part of conversion. They don't belong to conversion. I don't want that to happen but I want you to notice that they're the fruit of faith. There are those, again, perhaps well-meaning, but maybe it's too confuse. say that faith only receives. That's not true. Faith also produces. There are not only things that come into faith, but there are things that go out of faith. Faith is an instrument. What goes in comes out. Now, faith doesn't produce anything that it doesn't first receive. Understand that. But notice, when it talks about the fruit, and I'm talking now about good works. Explaining what good works are, and good works are, you may see, is what's being talked about. Prayer. Obedience to God, Ten Commandments. That those proceed from faith. That's important to understand that. They go out of faith. They leave faith. They are produced by faith. And that makes all the difference in the world, by the way. Only faith can pray. You can't pray without faith. You can't make any petitions to God without faith. You can't receive any blessing of God through prayer except by faith. And there's no obedience unless it's by faith. I wish I had time to explain what that means, but I can give you an example. Let's say you have two individuals. And they're both technically obedient to God. Technically. From all outward appearances, they're doing the exact same thing. In the Old Testament, let's suppose they're sacrificing. They're going to the temple of God to sacrifice. Of the one God says, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't desire sacrifices. Take them away, they're an abomination. And the other one God says... I love that sacrifice. Sacrifice more. In the New Testament we might talk about, say, prayer. Sacrifice of thanksgiving we call prayer Two individuals praying. Maybe they say the same petition. God abominates the one and He receives the other. What's the difference? The answer is faith. What does it mean? Well, the man that prays by faith He's praying with a certain understanding. He's praying with the understanding that God is a Savior. He's praying with the understanding that he doesn't deserve anything from God. He comes to God in humility. We're going to learn all these things about the requisites of faith. And the requisites are basically faith, or prayer I mean. Requisite is faith. Faith also says, doesn't matter what I do and how obedient I am. None of that is my righteousness. None of that pays for my sins. None of that improves my standings before God. Simply God's gift to me. It's just work of conversion in me. Thanks be to God. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's why it's important to understand that phrase. Only those which proceed from a true faith. You have know, two activities and work. They, they, they essentially look the same. Maybe they even come with well-meaning intent. From a sincere heart we say, but one is not faith. That's what it means to be performed according to the law of God. That's what we're going to learn is why there's no such thing as outward conformity to the law of God. It has to be to His glory, not your own. That is, when it's done, conversion is where the child of God works and labors, he sees and hears, lives according to God, but not for his own glory. Never for his own glory, only the glory of God. And and now we're, we're going to see how rare those things are in us. We're going to see how many things that we consider good and good works aren't in fact good at all. They're really sins. And we're going to see, hopefully, how God works this. You ask yourself, why is the catechism now going to explain prayer and preach the law? Is that just to set a standard? Is God going to use that instruction as part of the Holy Gospel to convert us? Is God going to use that? So that we heed that and we listen to that and we say, Yes, I need to pray more, pray more from the heart. I need to seek the forgiveness of sins in God. That's the view of the Catechism. It's not the view of some, but it's the view of the Catechism. We're not getting into now the life of thankfulness, which is what we produce, but it's the work of God that He produces, just work of conversion. And understand now, that's what's being described. That is what the Apostle Paul calls the way of love. That's what it means to be a follower of God. This is how God lives. This is how God behaves. And conversion is the renewal of us in the image of God. Which is why then there is that sure fruit of faith. Faith doesn't simply receive and take in the imputation of Christ and say, I believe that. And that's it. But faith goes on and says, this God will I serve. This God will I live unto. This God will I praise. That's God's saving work of conversion. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy work of salvation. We thank Thee for all of it from beginning to end. We pray, O Lord, continue to change, convert us, work repentance and sorrow of heart, joy and delight in Thee, our God. And may a part of that be a proper understanding of this wonderful, mysterious, and amazing work that exceeds even Thy work of the creation and our creation of us. This we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.